the end of it. But as he was leaving to walk home, he passed the wharfside bars above which Della had operated her whoring business, and there outside on the rough wooden walkway that sloshed to the beat of the incoming tide, sitting on top of a small, scarred suitcase, was Della's older girl, her Indian black hair tangled, her dress stained and dirty, her feet bare, and a hard look to her jawline that said, leave me alone, despite the fact that she was but a little child holding a helpless babe in her lap. And yet this small, dark-haired girl was beautiful, a heavenly mistake, as if something had blown across the ocean on an errant breeze from the shores of the Mediterranean. She could have been from some noble Italian or Greek family, rather than the bastard daughter of the town whore. The baby, who looked to be nearing a year old, was much fairer than her sister, with skin so pale and thin it looked near to transparent, and atop her head were fine threads of almost white hair. She appeared as if blown here by some strange wind, too, though hers of Norse origins. She ought to be growing up in the mountains of Switzerland, not by the harsh, burning sea, Silver thought. It was pretty obvious who'd fathered the baby, a big-time lobsterman called Whitey, who lived over in Atlantic Highlands. No other person for miles around had Whitey's near-colorless hair except his other children. But who sired the older one remained a mystery. The older girl stared out over the water the sun now turning blood orange, the light over the sea a burned red. And as he drew closer, the look of the girl took hold of Silver and made him stop. Her feet were planted solidly. She held her knees together tightly. Her arms were curved loosely but protectively about the baby, and she wore an expression of shattered defiance on her face, as if she'd been overtaken by some kind of stupor or shock. She didn't gaze up at him as he started to pass by. Silver stopped for a moment, rubbed his thatch of gray whiskers, and shrugged his shoulders, first one, then the other, as he did when he found himself at a loss. The girl's story was a fitting tale for Highlands, where the rich lived across the bay in New York and in the hills above town, and those just getting by, the clamors and fishermen, lived down by the docks and the shifting deeps. There wasn't much actual space between them, yet those two places were worlds apart. Big Money came to Highlands to sit on the verandas of their summer homes, slip amid clean, soft sheets in the new hotels, and comment on the quality of the clam chowder in dining establishments along the water. Big Money lived in two-story, porch-fronted houses on the hills above town and traveled in automobiles and ferries. It came for the beautiful beaches which were nearby, but at the same time far enough away from the clamors that they didn't spoil its vacation. It came to private swim clubs, beach resorts, and boats people took out for pleasure and not for work. Scant money came to the folks who washed dishes and mopped floors in the hotels, clubs, and restaurants, and to the hardy men making a living out of the rolling waters, fishermen, lobstermen, and clamors, mostly clamors. It lived packed together in small cottages and rooms near the water, where winds whipped, storms threatened, and the streets sometimes flooded during summer high tides, and of course, scant money also came to women like Della Hope. The older girl didn't move or utter a word, and yet there was something different about the light and evening breeze picking up, and it told him to wait. Just wait for a minute. Don't leave those babies alone. He was aiming to stay only until Hawkeye came back. He figured the other man would show up with help soon enough, and in the meantime, the little girls shouldn't be left by themselves on the wharf with the light fading. By now, the sun was only a half-dome cupped over the hills, and there was still no sign of Hawkeye. 
You hungry? Asked Silver, who was thus nicknamed because his hair had turned old when he was but 25. She looked at him then, the first time she'd ever really looked at him, although she had to have seen him around the waterfront plenty of times before. By God, the color of her eyes was a steely gray like he'd never seen before, and her appraising gaze was powerful. The look was neither good nor bad, trusting nor untrusting, helpless nor helpful. Just a stare of pure sizing up. What he'd first interpreted as stupor was instead clearly intense concentration, as if everything in her surroundings had just transformed and she was still trying to adjust to the altered appearance of it. Certainly her young life was now shattered. Her eyes never moved, never watered, never told him a thing. Clearly she wasn't going to answer. You got a bottle for that baby? He asked, 